Well, hi, my name's Doug Hooley, and you're listening to the Called Out Cafe podcast. Today we're beginning a brand new series titled, Choose Your Jesus Wisely. It'll mainly be taken from the pages of a book I wrote called, False Christian Gods, Choose Your Jesus Wisely. If you've read that book, you may want to listen to the podcast anyway. Although most of what was written will be repeated, the podcast will contain updated thoughts and information. Well, since we're starting a new series, I want to take the opportunity to first thank you for listening. I really, really appreciate it. There are thousands of ways to be spending your time right now. Thousands of other podcasts you could be listening to. So, if you're benefiting from the podcast, you can support it by doing things like subscribing to it or liking it with the thumbs up button and following us on Facebook. It's not an ego thing. (laughs) It's an algorithm thing. The more likes and subscribes you get, the more exposure to new potential listeners the podcast gets. But all of that is in God's hands. You are here today for a reason. So let's get on with it. The word truth is used well over 200 times in the Bible. Jesus said that he is the truth. It is the truth that sets us free. Yet the importance of truth, seeking it, recognizing it, or adhering to it, are seldom topics of Sunday morning sermons. It's as though no one needs to worry about the truth because it's assumed that everything that's taught on Sunday mornings in church in the name of Jesus is the truth. Well, that assumption could not be farther from the truth. My goal with the book I wrote and this podcast series is not to sort out every true doctrine from every false doctrine being taught today. There's far too many to address here, and would only serve to produce yet another version of the many volumes of systematic theologies that are on the market today. My goal is to point out the importance for the authentic child of God to seek the authentic truth, rather than lying back and relying on what they've previously been told. Since Jesus himself is the truth with a capital T— I contend that the authentic child of God is, at their very core, a seeker of authentic truth. To depart from seeking the truth is to seek a false idea of who God is, a false God. If you settle for less than an accurate idea of who God is, you are settling for a God who isn't quite God. Where those inaccuracies are significant, the ramifications can be tragic. Well, all of that being stated, I will be using a few examples of what I believe to be false doctrines in the church today to point out how essential it is to actively seek the truth and guard against deception. Especially in a place like church, where one lets their guard down in anticipation of only hearing the truth. Failure to be a proactive seeker of the truth and a guardian against deception is to risk getting so far off track that one may find they've not been following the one true God. There's no one else that will be held responsible for such a thing other than the follower, 
regardless of how good their intentions were. The highway to hell, after all, is paved with good intentions. My hope and prayer is that God uses this series to inspire the authentic child of God to drive forward with great determination in their quest for authentic truth, knowing that the real, authentic Jesus is waiting at the end of their expedition. I have no expectation that you who are listening and I will agree 100% of the time. It's my hope that where you don't agree with me on the individual doctrinal issues, that it won't distract you from the main points being made. Growing in the knowledge and understanding of God and His universe is a journey that you and I, as brothers and sisters in Jesus, are on together. As we remain committed and focused on drawing towards the one authentic truth, we'll inevitably draw closer together in our beliefs according to God's timing. Division, splits, and thousands of denominations have been born out of just the opposite practice. Although the listeners I have in mind for this podcast series are those who know the Son, they believe Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. This podcast series is also for the one that thinks he or she is an authentic child of God, but who, in God's eyes, is actually one who does not have the Son. Of course, no one thinks this is the case with themselves. And unless the Holy Spirit is motivating the person that fits this category to do so, they're not likely concerned with seeking the truth. They'll be content with what they believe to be the truth, even though it's not. Well, those who fit this category are not listening to this podcast by accident. There are no accidents in a universe that has been so carefully planned out by God. However, you'll likely soon be offended by what you hear, and you're going to want to stop listening as you feel your belief paradigm being challenged. Hopefully, you won't stop listening because me, a bad talker. (laughs) This isn't about passing my personal test, Doug Hooley's tests, for what I think constitutes an authentic Christian. This is about you and I holding ourselves up to what Scripture says. If you do feel your beliefs are being challenged, one of the most important things to know about the authentic truth is that if you have found it, and it is what your beliefs are based on, nothing will prevail against it. Your current beliefs will be safe so long as they're based on the authentic truth. No argument I can make will stand up against what God has declared our reality to be. Although I have many things left to learn, may God squash me like a bug if I ever intentionally attempt to sway anyone away from the truth. May God bless you and draw you nearer to His Son and His perspective on the universe through what will be discussed in this series. And may He deafen you to anything in this series that I have gotten wrong. Well, I set out to write a completely different book than False Christian Gods, Choose Your Jesus Wisely. That book is the one I'm currently editing. It's essentially about what the biblical model of a formal gathering of believers in Jesus, what you might call a church, would look like today. 
That book, which is called Leaving the Church to Follow Jesus, is a project that came into being because of a list, a literal list that I put together and originally containing 89 different reasons on why the modern traditional institutional church needs to be rethought. I was about two chapters away from completing the first draft of that book, which is completely different now, by the way, when I decided to need to write False Christian Gods, Choose Your Jesus Wisely first. What finally hit me was that there's a list of 89 different ways that the current iteration of the church, like today's church, is not doing business in a way that honors God's word. It's only a list of 89 symptoms of an underlying problem, a mountainous problem. What is the underlying disease or problem causing the symptoms that have presented themselves in the church today? And where did that disease come from? Well, the problem is as old as the gospel itself. It's become like a 2,000-year-old giant, tangled, knotted ball of twine. This giant mess of a yarn ball (laughs) could easily be an attraction along Route 66. Every generation since Jesus has added to the yarn ball because of the materials that are used to make it are simple and unlimited, and they're not yarn. They are the sinful nature of human beings and the insidious, purposeful plan of the greatest master of deception that God ever created, Satan. Nothing good ever comes of either of these two things, especially when they're combined. For two millennia, the church has concerned itself with biblical instructions regarding how it should engage with the secular world. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Whatever success the church may or may not have experienced in separating itself from the world, the world has been successful in becoming a part of the church by finding its way in through the back door. There's an undeniable secular religion that exists in the 21st century Western culture. I'm defining religion here as a human system that will allow one to think of themselves as good or righteous. The religion of which I'm speaking is not new. It's the same old self-righteousness different day religion in its latest form. I'll talk about this postmodern, secular, progressive religion in a later episode. But it's a system that's a custom fit for those who, like Adam and Eve, place themselves at the center of the universe, rather than recognizing that the center of the universe is reserved for God. It's a system that not only allows, but encourages people to believe in their own relative truth, rather than the absolute and authentic truth of God. Non-Christians are not unique in placing their personal will and wisdom above God's. Placing one's will and wisdom above God's and acting on it is a simple but accurate definition of sin. Sin is conceived when we tell ourselves a story that our judgment is better than God's and our will outweighs His will. This, of course, is not true but we choose to believe it as our own version of the truth 
to justify our actions. Sin is born when we march into the throne room of God in our minds and tell Him to get off that throne. I know better than you. Not your will, but my will be done. That's ugly. Christians, both lay people and clergy leaders, have always struggled with sin. And they and we will until the day that we die or Jesus returns. Buying into our own versions of the truth has left the church vulnerable to the influences of the postmodern secular progressive religion, which caters to relative rather than absolute truth. Satan has used this vulnerability to his advantage. Signs of the postmodern progressivism can easily be spotted in the church today. Before I go on and keep throwing around the term postmodernism, let's make sure we're all on the same page with what it means. I may repeat something like this later, but for now, let me keep it simple. Postmodernism focuses on the relative truth of each individual person. A postmodern culture supports the idea that what one individual believes to be true is just as valid as the next despite the possibility that it's not true at all. You hear this kind of language all the time in our culture today. People are encouraged to, quote, speak their truth, unquote. Progressivism is all about social reform. It's the idea that we humans, if we all band together, can fix whatever problems we have, even if apart from God. In my opinion, Progressivism led to the building of the Tower of Babel, and it was reborn during the Enlightenment period. It's a science-not-God-based social reform movement. It can mostly be thought of politically as a left or liberal philosophy. Allowing relative truth to take root in the church has resulted in key words found in the Bible to be redefined according to what best fits an individual's selfish desires. Words such as faith, belief, and hope have been recycled into meaning something that better supports relative truth. Since the first century, deceptive teachings have been added one on top of the other, slowly replacing the way Scripture was meant by the capital A, author, God, to be understood. False teaching was a problem almost immediately in the church. The book of Galatians documents this. The Apostle Paul personally founded the church in Galatia and instructed them. The Galatians spoke the same language as Paul, so it's not likely they didn't understand him. They lived in the same time in history as Paul, so culture wasn't a barrier. They understood the symbolism and the metaphors of their day. They had Paul himself as their living example. Yet, they still bought into false and destructive teaching. What's my point? As off-track as the Galatians had already gotten, they had it easy compared to Christians today, living 2,000 years later. Yet, the typical Christian today gives little thought to their vulnerability to false teaching. 2,000 years of sinful human involvement has allowed many mischaracterizations of God to infiltrate the church. 
When false teaching that becomes accepted by a few trusted people is passed on, it becomes accepted by many, and is handed down, then new traditions are instituted. Traditions morph into church dogma. Dogma is recorded in books containing systematic theology and is taught in Bible colleges and seminaries. In some cases, what should be considered heresy is instead considered orthodox. The shocking result when unbiblical and anti-biblical teachings are used to define the character and nature of God is that a new false god is born. I'll define what I mean by false gods more thoroughly in a future podcast. And in summary, they are the result of leaving it to individuals to define who God is according to misinformation they have internalized, their own logic, their versions of the truth, comfort, and personal preferences. This becomes their personal image of the God they hold in their mind. It becomes who they pray to and worship. There may or may not be an actual created spiritual being behind these false gods. A.W. Tozer wrote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Unlike the false gods of the first century, like Artemis, Mithras, and thousands of others, the false gods of Christianity are particularly sneaky. They all hold enough in common with the one true God to take on his look and feel. Each of these false Christian gods also has a son named Jesus. But instead of using sound principles of biblical interpretation, if you squint your eyes just right and you tilt your head to the side just a little, these Jesuses look a lot like the Jesus of the Bible. Together, they make up what's virtually a pantheon of false Jesuses, each one just different enough to not be the authentic Jesus of the Bible. Deconstructing the one true God and reinventing Him according to our relative truth in our imagination places us, the created, above the Creator. We are, in a sense, creating our own gods. Of course, this sounds shocking. And we're all, you know, you, everybody listening right now is saying, yeah, well, not me. But look closely at many of today's Christian teachings, especially within the evangelical church, and you'll find a God that does not fit the definition of sovereign. Rather, you'll find a God that's dependent on his human followers to accomplish his will. A God that needs our advice. A God that's waiting on us to act. And a reactive God that isn't quite in control all the time. This God does not seem to decide who is to be saved from eternal damnation. Instead, who is saved depends on who this God's followers will present the gospel to and make disciples of. This God has voluntarily tied his own hands so that humans must act on his behalf. This God responds better to many prayers rather than only one person's prayer, as if he's a God that's subject to majority rule. Some Christian false gods are moody, but they'll serve their followers like a genie 
if the follower gets the formula right and recites the correct incantation. Spells, that some call memory verses, which can be used to hold God accountable to His promises. This type of false god can be manipulated. All one needs to do is tell the god what to do, preferably by using a memory verse. Next, they need to use their faith, like a Jedi in the Star Wars movies uses the Force. And finally, add the magic tagline in Jesus' name. Follow this formula, and one can have anything one desires. As a reward for following your personal Jesus' commands, He in turn awaits your commands. He's the God of quid pro quo. If we give Him money, He'll give us more money. Our goal, learn how to manipulate this God to get what we want so we can be healthy and happy. For this God sent His only Son, so that whoever believes in Him will receive whatever their heart desires and will be happy, healthy, popular, and prosperous in this life. That's from the book of First Fictitions 3.16. Our desire and our prayers, when added together, can move the hand of some Christian false gods. These gods like to see commitment on our part. Praying for hours helps them to take us seriously. They're especially responsive to our requests when we miss meals and are hungry. Because then, based on our level of hunger, they really know we're serious about what we want and are moved by our sacrifice and our commitment. There are other Christian gods. They're gods of bondage. The work the gods of bondage want us to do is no longer simply to believe in Jesus. That was a bait-and-switch tactic to get people in the door of the church. And Jesus is not the one who determines what will be accomplished by those who call themselves Christians. It's up to the followers of the gods of bondage to define what needs to be done. The one thing that their followers of these gods know is to keep the gods happy. It's all about service. Reading now from the second book of Fictitions 316. For this God so did love the world that he sent his only son to start a social service agency so that his love may be shown to the world. In larger churches, the latest iterations of Christian gods have left it up to the priests or the leader of the church of these false gods and church committees to determine what works will be considered good enough to be supported by the church, the institution. Some churches have even adopted point systems based on one's past good works, which comes in handy in the assisting in the selection process. Extra points are awarded for exposure the future work will have in the community. Attracting media attention earns the applicant platinum star level points. (laughs) Those with best chances of gaining the support of the church will be the ones whose projects portray the church's image in the most positive light. This of course, in the hope that Jesus will be more effectively marketed, resulting in better stats in the Disciples Made column at the end of the month. Stats must really impress these new gods. You think I'm making this stuff up, don't you? (laughs) Most of the Christian false gods utilize pyramid schemes, or what can be compared to pyramid schemes. They 
promise prestige among the other adherents of the faith and fabulous prizes like crowns and higher status in heaven when they attract new disciples to the church. One of the first things that new converts are encouraged to do is go and find more new converts. After all, these gods can't do it on their own, can they? How unfortunate that your own personal Jesus is not just a 1980 song by Depeche Mode. As the final step in creating one's own personal Jesus, many have used a Bible study method which allows one to verse by verse reinterpret the Bible into the book of me. Here's how you do it. You read a passage of scripture, make your own quick observations about it, figure out how it should apply to your life, and pray that it would be so. Jesus is simply the one who will magically bring your reality of what scripture means personally to you, to life, into reality. Hearers and readers of the Bible are encouraged to see his or herself as the central character in every Bible story, or at least compare her or his life to them. In every Bible study, whether it's done on one's own or in a group, the goal is to interpret every scripture through one's personal experiences and lenses and then apply it to his or her life. Journaling is also encouraged to document one's new personally altered version of the Bible. In many churches, for any Sunday sermon to be a success, rather than simply help attendees to understand what it is the capital A author, God, is communicating in Scripture, the pastor will instead attempt to leave each attendee with a nugget of thought or hook for the week that will benefit them in some way. That is the priority. The pastor must effectively use something like Jedi mind tricks, which I'll talk about later, to convict people to do a better job of following God's moral code so they can be in right standing with God and become more successful. A good sermon won't necessarily teach anyone anything about the authentic truth contained in Scripture. It will, however, encourage one to behave better, to do good works, improve their lives, heal their finances, make their marriage better, or teach a new way of holding God accountable to keep His promises. As proof the sermon is of divine origin, each of the three to six points made will begin with the same letter of the alphabet. Normally P's. I don't know why. To sum up the results of the problem here, people's sin nature and embrace of accepting relative truth has turned the authentic Jesus of the Bible into one of many Jesuses for people to consider following. Along with authentic disciples, many false disciples of counterfeit Jesuses are being made. The purpose of the authentic church has become lost as Christians try to figure out what their mission is supposed to be, what their gifts are. They take up the yoke and heavy burden of humans rather than share the yoke of Jesus. Religion, a law or works-based system of rules and traditions designed to assist one in becoming righteous, has replaced the righteousness of Jesus. Both seekers of God and authentic children of God are confused. 
What it means to be an authentic disciple of Jesus is seldom taught. To be a Christian can mean anything now. Many are in love with the church or Christianity, but not necessarily Jesus. Where the gospel is taught, it's rare when it's taught in its entirety. People do okay explaining the part about Jesus serving as the sacrifice to pay the price for our sins. But they seldom explain that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, continues to do the work He expects to be accomplished through the believer. And that attempting to add to the work that the Holy Spirit is doing to put oneself in right standing with God or manipulate God is the same as following the law. It's reliance on something or someone other than Jesus, a false God, to improve your status with God. And it negates any work Jesus has done. People are leaving the church in droves. A Pew Research Center study, which compared a 2014 study to the same study in 2007, there's a lot of years for you, says that 10% fewer millennials were associated with any faith in 2014 than in 2007. Also, 7.8 fewer American adults claimed to be Christians in 2014 than in 2007. Well, if that went on for, what, 80 years? I'm no mathematician. I just showed that. There wouldn't be any Christians. That's like a fatal slope. Many are either becoming lost in big churches or burned out in small ones. Authentic children of God are bouncing from church to church looking for the, quote, real thing, unquote, not even having a clear picture of what the real thing is supposed to be. That's something that I talk a lot about in this book that I'm working on, leaving the church to follow Jesus. Instead of a book about God and how we may know and be in right standing with Him forever, the Bible has been turned into a self-help guide. Postmodernism has caused people to lose confidence that anyone can really know anything that the Bible is telling us. It's left to the individual to decide. Worst of all, abominations have throughout church history and currently are taking place in the name of the real Jesus. Abominations which drive people away from Him. Every human being is a sinner and vulnerable to deception. God only knows, but my guess is that everyone who has ever considered themselves a Christian has, with the best of intentions, knelt before the altar of a false Christian God. I'm not proud to say that I know that I most certainly have several false Christian gods in my past. God knows every step of the journey He's planned for us. He knows who He created us to be and understands us so much better than we understand ourselves. He knows, for example, that our beliefs are going to be based on the information that we, as finite human beings, have available to us. What matters is what we do with the authentic truth when God reveals that to us and we understand it. When I come to the knowledge that I have held misbeliefs about God, my duty as an authentic child of God is to repent discard those beliefs, and adopt the new belief which is based on the truth. This may happen quickly, 
or it may take time to allow God to perform what can be equated with brain surgery on me. Unraveling in my mind what's based on tradition, loyalty to others, fear, peer pressure, or guilt, rather than the truth, is complicated, to say the least, especially when you've had those wrong beliefs for, in my case, decades. It not only involves my spirit, but my learned behaviors, my hard wiring, my comfort, my ego, and my relationships with others. Purposely rejecting the truth about God and continuing in misbelief and the worship of a false image of who God is, is an entirely different matter. There's no difference between this and rejecting Jesus in the first place in favor of a different God. Although you may be saying to yourself right now, yeah, but who would ever do that? The short answer is that many would choose to do that. Because as Matthew twenty-two fourteen tells us, that many are called, but few are chosen. God only knows who will ultimately fail to finally follow him and his truth. It's my part not to add to the problem, but to speak in truth. It's not my place to ever decide to give up on anyone. What can be done to fix this problem? So, I've presented a widespread serious issue. The thought of violating the first commandment by worshiping false gods within the Christian church is extremely shocking. So much so that the initial reaction of some will be complete disbelief especially if they're among the few who have never personally witnessed it. I've cited the cause and some of the results of the problem. Americans are problem solvers. So what can be done to fix this awful situation? The truth is that from our perspective, this problem will not be fixed until Jesus returns and fixes it. This side of the second coming There is no great reformation or revival of the church prophesied about in the Bible. However, while we await our rescuer, individual authentic children of God can do a great deal to, at least, not be a part of the problem. The magnitude of the situation makes it sound like it's of biblical, last days proportions. A great falling away from the faith is spoken of in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Jesus talked about many false Christs and prophets, or what we may call preachers today, arising and deceiving many in Matthew 24, 5, and 11. The Apostle Paul wrote about people turning away from the truth in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3-4. The threat of deception is one of the strongest themes in the New Testament. However, whether we're living in the last days may or may not be the case. I am not trying here to say that we are. The conditions I've outlined so far have existed in different measure since the ascension of Jesus. I'm not sure they're any worse now. Of course, since it's happening around us now, and humans tend to think the world revolves (laughs) revolves around each of us, and that history began the day we were born, things like this problem that seem to get worse within our lifetime bring some people to the conclusion that we are living in the last days. 
Some assume this without either having a solid knowledge of what the Bible says about the return of Christ, or without considering current events in historical context. There are specific signs Jesus told us about that will signal when we are in the last days. He's also told us about false signs that will not indicate anything other than we're living in a fallen world. I discuss both types of signs thoroughly in my book, Watch. My first podcast series on the Called Out Cafe is based on that book, if you're interested. But whether we are living in the last days or whether Jesus does not return for another thousand years, what his instructions were to his followers are the same, to watch until he returns. In Mark chapter 13, verse 37, Jesus said, And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. In Watch, the book that I wrote, I discuss three legs of a watchful stool. Leg number one is biblical knowledge. One will not recognize the problem I've outlined if they do not have knowledge of and an understanding of Scripture. How do you know something is wrong unless you know what is right? To base our lives on anything less than the truth contained in the Bible is a waste of the life that we were given as a gift from God. Leg number two is to be wise and pay attention. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. When we know and understand the information contained in the Bible, watchfulness means to pay attention to the world around us considering that information. We're to constantly be on the lookout for deception, especially from within the church where we would least expect it. Matthew chapter 24 verses 4 to 5 says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Not just every teaching, but also every practice and tradition that comes to you in the name of Jesus should be tested according to God's Word. Whether we want to keep engaging in a tradition or not, we should know the difference between a tradition of man and a biblical mandate. Jesus stresses the importance of watchfulness when he states in Matthew 24, 24, that the deception will one day be so intense that even the elect, the chosen followers of Christ, could be misled. The defense against this deception is to know the truth beforehand. Then, be alert and watchful for things that don't line up with the truth. Watchful stool leg number three is abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ means reacting appropriately to what we see taking place around us and living in wisdom considering the knowledge and understanding we have about Scripture. Abiding in Christ goes hand in hand with walking in the Spirit. There's much to do regarding the work of believing in Jesus, knowing, understanding, and accepting who He is. How long does it take to get to know an infinite and eternal God. Well, what good is it to be biblically watchful? I hope you intuitively already know that. But you probably know the movie The Matrix. It was a popular movie which was released in 1999. 
In it, a character named Neo is offered the choice of taking a red pill or a blue pill. If Neo took the blue pill, he would continue in the only world he had ever known. It was a world of virtual reality called The Matrix. The world of The Matrix was a created illusion designed by artificial intelligence to keep humans in a state of blissful ignorance while they unknowingly serve their artificial intelligence masters. In the artificial dream world of The Matrix, one felt content, happy, and secure. If Neo chose the red pill, spoiler alert, he did, then he would awake out of his dream state to face the real world, a fierce world of seeing things the way they really are, a world that did not promise happiness, security, or comfort, but instead a world of truth, knowledge, and freedom. Becoming biblically watchful is like taking the red pill in the matrix, seeking to know, understand, and accept God's truth one draws closer to seeing the world from his perspective. Having created things exactly according to his plan and purpose, God alone sees things as they really are. Only the author of all creation, who lives outside of time and space and knows the purpose behind everything he created and the thoughts and intentions of every human being, can know the complete truth. As far as God wanted humans to know the authentic truth concerning Himself and His plan, He communicated it to us in the Bible. Taking the red pill, metaphorically speaking, is to commit to setting aside one's own wants, desires, prejudices, loyalty to others, and worldview, all when necessary anyway, in favor of seeking God's authentic truth, no matter where it leads no matter what sacred cows are slaughtered, no matter what religious paradigms come crashing down, no matter how much of your past has been wasted living in the matrix. So, if only Jesus can finally fix the problem, what good can come of when an individual, authentic child of God, decides to take the red pill and see things the way they really are? Let me try and explain why following the truth is worth it. There are 2,000 years worth of orthodox, religious, superfluous strata on the top of God's authentic truth contained in the Bible. What lies beneath this unholy compost is beautiful. It's like the gospel 2.0 so good. It's not the good news. It's the awesome news. The true authentic Jesus waits there and is so much better than human beings could ever make up. He is the only Jesus that came to set us free from death and from the God of this world, Satan, and from Satan's spawn, the oppressive, false promise-making, counterfeit, false Christian gods. By seeing the authentic truth clearly and recognizing deception, You can know the one true God in spirit and in truth rather than in your flesh and misbelief. Knowing and understanding the real God better, you'll draw increasingly close to Him. Seeing clearly is freeing. You can remove others' heavy burdens and yokes from your shoulders. What a relief. It's to be on God's side 
rather than the side of deception. It's to come out of darkness into the light. Everything may be redefined according to truth, authentic love, real and meaningful service, and not service born of peer pressure or to make an institution look good or support someone else's agenda when it's not your calling. It can illuminate what your part in spreading the gospel really is or should be. You can stop spending time and energy defending the artificial religious model and simply follow Jesus. In other words, the decisions you make in your own life can be based on authentic truth rather than a man-made religious paradigm. Your faith will have a solid foundation rather than a foundation of a man-made system. The influence you have over others and the advice you give can be based in truth. You'll be equipped to teach and spread truth rather than a false gospel. You can discontinue supporting a paradigm of deception, how to use your time, talents, and treasures will no longer be on behalf of a false gospel or God. Well, where is it that we're going in this series? It's my intention to provide a perspective designed to encourage you to take the step of looking outside of what you've previously been told about who Jesus is and to take a fresh look at him through careful Bible study. Please don't let anyone convince you that it's dangerous to do so or that it will undermine your faith in Jesus. It's the exact opposite. What you already know that is based in authentic truth will stick. Hopefully, anything less than the truth will start to fall away. Although exposure to raw truth can be sobering, I know that you will not be disappointed with what you find. Jesus will always be waiting for you at the end of every journey you take in pursuit of the truth. What we think of as false gods may vary widely today. Some may think of them as something that only existed in ancient times. We may have adopted definitions according to modern popular Christian teachings. In the next episode, I want to explain what I believe the biblical definition of a false god is, whether in ancient or modern times. Following that, using a personal story, I'll demonstrate how easy it is to stray and follow a false god. I'll discuss how humans, because of the self-centered sin nature we all have, tailor-make their false gods to fit themselves. I'll illustrate where new false gods come from today and how they're given life. Then, we'll spend some time talking about the importance of truth and how it is the antidote to avoid following and worshiping false gods. We'll discuss a very common Bible study method, which leads to erroneous conclusions and the worship of false gods. Then, we'll look at some very common biblical words, such as faith, belief, and hope, and how they've taken on some very different meanings today, and how today's false gods depend on those modern, unbiblical definitions to survive. Following that, we'll engage in a brief survey on what the Apostle Paul had to say to the church in Galatia about this topic, and then we'll look at what I call Christian Jedi mind tricks, feelings such as guilt, fear, and the desire to fit in, among others, that are the counterfeit gods 
ways of manipulating their followers. These dubious techniques are used to take the place of the works of the Holy Spirit of the one true God. Next, I'll provide an illustration of how false gods have infiltrated the modern mainstream and evangelical churches today by introducing you to the great and powerful saw, the God of service and works. Then, we'll talk about the biblical ramifications of following false gods and what's involved in authentic belief in God as opposed to belief in false gods. In the last couple of episodes, we'll look at whose problem all of this is and what our part in fixing this enormous problem may be. Luke chapter 13, verse 24 records this interaction between Jesus and his disciples. It says this, Then one, a disciple, asked him, Jesus, Are there few that will be saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, because I'm telling you, many will seek to enter and will not be able to. Deciding to know and follow the complete and authentic Jesus of the Bible, and not a human who is telling you what to do in Jesus' name, is a difficult task. It's sometimes a painful and lonely task, because it's a narrow gate that must be entered that few will find. To enter through the narrow gate is to buck the system of Christianity. It's to swim against the flow of a raging river of deeply held misbeliefs, culture, and traditions. Have you found the narrow gate that the one true God allows access to himself through? Are you ready to swim against the flow of the river? What an incredible journey lay ahead for those that do. For those that choose to pursue the truth of Jesus rather than to settle for anything less, let me close by saying this. Relax. What you will find is truly good news. Well, that's it for this time. Until next time, may God bless you richly and Maranatha. Thanks for joining me today. Until my next podcast, you can follow me on Facebook by going to the Doug Hooley Ministries page. I'm on Twitter at at Doug H Ministries, and I'm on Instagram at Doug Hooley Ministries. Find out about what I'm working on and read some of my blogs at DougHooley.com or email me at Doug at DougHooley.com. That's Doug at D-O-U-G-H-O-O-L-E-Y dot com. I'd love to hear from you. This has been the Called Out Cafe. So long and God bless. Thank you.